Well, you've heard and seen many times that we're starting a new series today in Philippians, and some of you may remember it in John, we gave out, we sold and gave out some of these little follow-along, fill-in-the-blank kind of, uh, not fill-in-the-blank, uh, kind of journaling space that you could do with the Scripture, and I have some more of these on order. They'll be in the Resource Center next week, but I have five here to give away today, so raise your hand, and, uh, and I'll have uh, Piper, will you give them out to people? Come on, don't hesitate. If you, if you used them last time, and here, Jerry, will you help? Passes around to five different people. Several people had them last time, and I thought it'd be helpful to just give those out. And so, if somebody just put your hand up when they're gone, they're gone. And they're just basically the text with some journaling space, which is what I love to do. That's why I have a journaling Bible, because that gives me lots of space to write notes, follow along with sermons, and have stuff in a place where I'm going to keep it forever. So, it might be something that you're interested in doing. So, we're going to look at Philippians, and we're going to be in chapter one, verse one through 11. And since we're going through this book during the summer, we're kind of locked in that we had to finish at a certain period of time. And if you've been around Grace for a while, you know that I can move pretty slow through passages of Scripture. And so today, the passage that goes along with our uh, ministry handout we're doing there in the lobby, if your family got one of those, is verses 1 through 11. Now, I'm not going to make it through 11, but that's on you guys then to study and read and talk about and discuss what I don't get through today. So Anyway, be, be prepared to do that, and I'll send out some more information on my Monday email with some more thoughts on the rest of the passage. So we're in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read together verses 1 through 11. The Apostle Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now look, Paul is going to say what he's praying for the Philippians about in verse 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may be able to prove what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray and we'll look at this passage. Father God, we thank you for your word in a, in a world that is so dying for truth and dying to know what's real. God, I pray that you will help us as believers and followers of Jesus to live our lives in accordance with your word and with your truth. And God, I pray that you'll help us to see today that as we battle, that we're not battling alone, that you're battling for us and on our behalf. And God, I pray that you'll help us, and, and especially those today who are discouraged and depressed and full of anxiety and worry, and they feel like failures from your kingdom standpoint, God, I pray you'll help them to see who you declare them to be in Jesus. And I pray that they'll walk out and live 
according to that identity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was a kid, before about seven or eight years old, I really wasn't into sports. And that kind of all changed when a neighbor of ours, his name was Andy Rains, and he was probably five or six years older than me, so I'm like eight, he's about 14 years old. And he befriends my brother and I, and he begins to come down to our house and bring old baseball gloves, his baseball gloves, as well as his and ones that he had used when he was a kid. And he began to teach us how to play baseball. And this was like a whole new experience for me, not being a sports person and not really, uh, you know, my dad played football in high school, but he really didn't teach us a lot of sports growing up. And, and so we began to learn about baseball, and it just kind of opened my eyes to, to sports and my love for sports. And I couldn't wait till the day that my dad decided to take us to the store to buy us each a baseball glove. And he took my brother and I to the store, and this is the actual baseball glove that he bought for me when I was seven or eight years old. And this thing was a prized possession. I mean, the joy that I received when I went to that store and we bought this glove. I, I, I just cherished this glove. I literally, no joke, I slept with this glove in my bed. It, was, it brought my life so much joy, so much fulfillment. And then when Andy would show up, I would, could get my own glove out there, and I could play, and he could teach me, and we could throw, and we could hit in my backyard. Well, sadly, Andy Rains, who was several years older, went to high school, and you know what happens when you're in high school, you don't hang out with little kids. And so Andy sort of just vanished and went away from our uh, playing with us and being hanging out with us in our backyard. And my brother and I did play some, but, you know, it just wasn't the same after that. And my parents weren't really big supporters of the local midget league or little league. And, and so we couldn't play uh, organized baseball. And so slowly over time, Baseball began to fade away, and it was hard to get kids in the neighborhood just to organize for sandlot ball. And sooner or later, I quit baseball altogether, never played baseball after about age 10 or 11. This glove ended up in my closet and was passed through various places I've lived along the way. The point is, things that we put so much hope in, and we have so much joy in at some point in our life, these things aren't durable, and they're not steady, and they don't last. Think about your own illustration of things that you would have said, man, these things brought you so much joy and so much pleasure in your life, but now you look back on it and you realize it's a lot like this glove, that you have some good memories, but it's really not doing a lot for you at this point. Dreams die, and the joy that I received from that glove died. I want you today to really think about this concept of joy because that's what the book of Philippians is about. And I think God has hardwired all people to want to experience joy. I, I think we all long, it's universal that we long for joy. And sadly, we run after it by things like baseball that we know are not going to ultimately fulfill it, but yet we keep running after these things again and again, and we know that they're not sturdy and they're not durable and they won't last. So the question is, where do we find sturdy, durable, lasting happiness, no matter what happens in life? No matter what happens in your life, whether you're abandoned by a friend or by a spouse or everything in your life goes upside down, where can you find lasting joy and happiness? Well, in the book of Philippians, in four short chapters, Paul uses the word joy or rejoicing 
at least 14 different times. And he also mentions Jesus at least 45 different times. So for Paul, there's a strong connection between Jesus and joy. Jesus and joy. And here's the thing we need to remember. Paul is not sitting in his resort home in Malibu with a pen in his hand, kick back, comfortable surroundings, writing the book of Philippians. Paul is incarcerated. And not only is he in prison, but Paul is literally, his life hangs in the balance at this point. He could be put to death at any time. And so he's writing this, and if anyone had a reason to be writing, woe is me, how could I be here? It would be Paul, but he's doing just the opposite. He's giving us a prescription for joy. He's telling us how that we can live for joy. And literally, during Roman times, under house arrest, if Paul was under house arrest, he would have literally, one arm would have been locked to a Roman guard, and he'd be writing with the other hand. And so Paul writes us about joy from the worst of circumstances. So let's look and see what we can learn from Paul that we can apply in our lives that literally, that literally, that you and your life can be different and you can live with the joy of Jesus as Paul did. So Paul says, first of all, he says he understands his purpose. He understands his reason for living, who he is. Look, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus. And so Paul understands that when a person comes to Jesus, there should be this clarity of who they are. There should be this clarity that understand that, as the verse that I quote a lot from up here is Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Baptism is the perfect picture of that, that the old life is gone, a new life has begun. So everybody here who claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ you should have, at some point when you place your faith in Jesus, at least had some awareness of the fact that you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. That you're dying to yourself, and you're living for Christ. You've identified with Christ. Sadly, culture has turned this to be just salvation and baptisms about getting to heaven after you die, and there's very little connection here between the fact that Jesus literally should take over your body and live through your body through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and through the daily uh, taking in of his word and learning from his word that we live our lives in light of who we are. But sadly, most of us don't have that mindset. Paul had that mindset. He understood who he was. And remembering this every day is the key because just thinking about it today, Oh, yeah, that is, uh, you know, I do have a purpose. I do have a reason for being here. And you think about it today and you say, I'm going to live on purpose in my life. I'm going to live for this purpose. And then you walk out of here today and you don't think about it any longer or you forget to think about it, then you're probably not going to live in light of that. And so that's why Jesus in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said, if anyone would come after me, if you're going to follow me, Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to deny yourself. And then he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. I think it's so cool that Jesus inserted in there daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Because Jesus knew that all of our tendency would be to forget. And and we move on and the next thing in life gets our attention. 
But when we're taking up our cross daily in following Jesus, we remember our identity and we remember our purpose. And so the first thing that Paul says he is, he says he and Timothy are servants of Jesus Christ. Servants. It's not a word that we would define ourselves with in our identity. Hey, nice to meet you. I'm John. I'm a servant of Jesus. That we don't think of our identity the way that Paul thought of his identity. Now, some of you may be reading this verse in a different translation where we use the ESV. At least when I preach, I use the good version. Roy, I think, used something else last week. But um, the ESV version, and it may say, uh, it may say slave or it may say bondservant. All right, so why would it, the same word be translated different ways? Well, there's the way that we view a word makes a difference, right? So a slave, we think of a slave, we think of somebody who's being forced to do something out of fear. But that's not what Paul is getting across at all. He's not operating out of fear of God, not the fear like a slave would fear their master. He's operating as a, a, as a servant, and so he sees himself as a servant who seeks to fulfill God's will and his desires in all things. Paul takes delight in following the will of God. When God says, Paul, do this, Paul takes delight in fulfilling that and doing that. And so this isn't forced, but let's be certain. There's definitely undertones of humility and submission here. Humility and submission to Jesus. And so when the readers would hear Paul say servants, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus, they would hear Paul saying that he is fully committed to the service of Jesus Christ. He's fully committed. And now Paul's not like Christian 2.0 where he's a servant and all of us, we get to be something else. All of us are servants of Jesus Christ. I think it's important to note, he doesn't say servants of the church or servants of people because that always turns bad when we start serving people versus serving Jesus, and then when we serve Jesus, we serve people. So many of us are maybe recovering people pleasers, and that's not a good thing to try to do ministry by pleasing people. Nothing good happens in that. So it's clear that he was honoring and following Jesus. Every day, honored Jesus, followed Jesus, was a servant of Jesus. So here, here's what I wanted to remind you of when it comes to this idea of servant and your identity. I was listening to a song the other day, and part of the lyrics of the song said this. It said, how we spend our time is how we spend our life, right? That's, that's obvious. Who we become is how we spend our time. Who we become is how we spend our time. So think about your life. How are you spending your time? If you're a servant of Jesus, if that's your identity, then you're serving him by ministering to people. That should be very clear and easy to define in your life because you can look at the people that you're discipling, the people that you're involved in, the people that you're helping, the people that you and your wife are coming alongside to help mentor and, and, and train. But some way, we've got this mindset that it's just the ministers and the elders and maybe the deacons, they're like the ones up here who are doing the ministering, the serving. They're the servants, but that's not me. Like I've just kind of come here and hear things and go and try to apply them in a little bit. No, your job and all of our jobs is to serve Jesus, and that means having, having a ministry mindset all the time, spending our time with a ministry mindset. And what's pretty cool that in the last week in, within this church, I heard about several different people who are not leaders in this church, who nobody went to them and said, hey, will you do this? But on their own, 
they reached out to people who were hurting and who were needy and who were struggling. That should be happening. Within the church, that should be happening. We should be looking around and seeing who we can make a difference and serve Jesus by serving them. And so Paul knows that he's a servant. And then the next thing he says is that this, the, the church, the, the Christians at Philippi, they're saints. And, of course, Paul knows he includes himself in that, that he's a saint as well. Look, to all the saints, verse 1, in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Now, many of us, when we hear the word saint, the first thing that comes to mind is somebody who's especially holy or especially religious. And other people, maybe you're from a Catholic background, you think of somebody who had this heroic virtue in their life or maybe even they performed a miracle supposedly and so they've been elevated to this position of saint. Well, that's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about saint. This is a different meaning. A saint is a holy one, someone who is set apart for God's special purposes. As a result, every follower of Jesus Christ is a saint. Let me read that again. A saint is a holy one, someone who is set apart for God's special purposes. As a result, every follower of Jesus Christ is a saint. Now, some of you are sitting there, you're going, I know I'm saved, but I sure don't feel holy. Well, while personal holiness is important, what Paul is emphasizing here is not our personal holiness, but he's focusing in on our objective status that believers possess because the righteousness of Jesus has been, the word is imputed or given to them as salvation. One of the songs that we sang mentioned this talked about this. So when you came to Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you really looked at him and saw your need as a sinner needing a Savior, and you placed your hope in him, then he gave you his righteousness. And the gospel is this, that the reason he had to give you his righteousness is because your sin separated you from a holy God. There's no way that you could have a relationship with God because of your sin and there's no way that you could be good enough to earn God's favor. And so Jesus died in your place, and he gives you his righteousness, and he takes your sin on the cross. And so that's what Paul's getting at when he says that you're holy to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. He's saying that in what Jesus did for us, that we have been declared righteous and declared holy. And in that, everything changes. We are now saints. We stand before God with no condemnation. That's an awesome gospel. And sadly, many people, you've heard this, but you've forgotten, and many people walk out of here today and still don't get it. Because you'll say, what do I need to do to have salvation? And Scripture says that Satan has blinded our eyes from the gospel. And so please hear me. And let the Holy Spirit just drill this down into you. That in salvation, when you place your faith in Jesus, the righteousness of Christ is imputed on your behalf, given to you, and he takes your sin. What a, what a, what a change in your identity to you at the core. But unfortunately, many of us were raised in churches, maybe with pastors or even parents who were well-intentioned, 
who did not really preach a completely accurate gospel to us when it came to our identity in Christ and what that means and what that really difference that makes to us. I had the privilege this last week to go deep sea fishing, only been once before, and uh, my brother-in-law took us 55 miles out. It, it was amazing, 55 miles out into the Gulf. And when we were out there, by the way, I got, I got sick. I was throwing it up over the side of the boat, very embarrassed. But I was thinking, wow, look at all this water. Yet somebody could thirst to death in all this water. We have to have, obviously, fresh water to drink. And so here you could be surrounded by water. It's water, right? It's water. But you would not be able to survive if you didn't get fresh water. And, and that's a good analogy to me of how sometimes just little things can be off just slightly in our understanding of the gospel, understanding of, of faith, but it changes everything. And so just like a little salt makes water toxic, just a, l- a little bit of misunderstanding can make us very toxic Christians and f- experience no joy in our lives. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about this idea that we have, which again, I don't know how we got this from Scripture, where that the American church We feel like that if we are following Jesus and we're doing what God wants us to do, that our life just sort of just falls into place. That the blessings that God gives us means that it's going to be an easy road. And we're like surprised, like, whoa, I'm following Jesus and that didn't work out for me. And that didn't happen the way that I thought. Because we're wired with this, what's in this for me attitude What do I get out of this way of thinking? And so when we enter into Christianity with this toxic mindset that we think that God's blessing means that that we're entitled to certain things in this life, which are all interpreted by worldly attitudes of blessing, not God's definition of blessing, but worldly attitudes of blessing. But we got Paul here. He's sitting in prison. He has nothing. He's completely dependent on his friends to come and feed him because the government isn't going to give him food. He's locked up. He's miserable. He's isolated. He's lonely. Is that what he signed up for? Yes, it was what he signed up for. And it's what you and I signed up for as well, that we understand that Scripture clearly says that the blessings that we have are blessings that Jesus gives us, that in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that he's given us every blessing in the heavenly places, that he's given us everything we need. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has given me everything that I need to live this life for his glory. Yet we come through this life with almost like surprised when things don't go well for us. Because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. It's about his glory. And for Paul and for many of you, you need to realize that the condition, the situation you're in right now is not because God forgot about you. It's because God is working in you and on you to bring maximum glory to himself in the situation that you find yourself. And so God didn't fall asleep and that happened to you. 
And joy is possible because we understand that our identity is in Christ we've been declared holy. I'm a saint. I've been declared righteous. God is no longer against me. He's for me. God has chosen me. Paul was an enemy of the gospel. He fought against God. He was against Jesus. He killed Christians, yet God chose him to be a follower of Jesus and gave him life through Jesus. And because of Jesus, God declared him righteous. And so here's a guy who murdered people, yet he writes in chapter 3, we'll see in a few weeks, that he's forgetting the stuff that's behind and he's pressing forward to the things that are in front of him. He's not going to be hung up on his past because in Christ he's a new creation, Scripture says. The old is gone, new life has begun. And so Paul doesn't get hung up on this, this is what I used to do and I can't function or move on because I did some terrible things back then, like God would never accept me. So I hear that all the time, that people will say, well, I've got to get my stuff together before I show up at church. You're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. You're not going to get anything together apart from Jesus. And even if you look around and you think maybe they're together or I'm together, none of us are together, all right? We all are struggling and battling. But Paul's able to write verses like, God is for me, who can be against me? He says, all things work together for my good in Romans 8. He says, God will never leave me or forsake me. He says, nothing can separate me from the love of God. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And some of you are like, that's the one I like because I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. I think I'll put that on my arm, tattoo it right here on my arm. All right, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about going out and winning a fight because you've got tattooed on your arm. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying any situation where I'm in, where God is moving me to follow his will and live for his glory, I can do that. No matter how bad the odds look around me and how difficult it may appear, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because he called me to do it, he's going to give me the strength to see it happen. And so Paul here, he's riding in prison, chained up, facing death. He can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. He writes a book called Philippians. We're reading it today. What an amazing contribution, right, to our lives. And Paul could have said, woe is me, how terrible my life is. This, surely this isn't what following Jesus is about because I wouldn't be here. You know, Jesus should be giving me like blessing upon blessing, money, prosperity, health. It's not happening for Paul because he understands that in Christ, God has called him and whatever he brings along, no matter what, he can do it through Christ because he knows who he is. So the question is, practically speaking, are you willing to do battle in your mind when situations happen, which will never probably for any of us be like Paul's situation, where you begin to battle in your mind the flesh and these sinful, conver sinful conversations we begin to have in our mind when things don't go our way. What am I talking about? You're in a job. Every day you get up, you put your clothes on, you head out the door, and in your mind all you do is complain. Oh, I hate this job. It's a terrible job. It's an awful job. Man, i got to find a new job. Oh, I hate this. And that's the conversation 
you're having in your mind again and again and again, every day, often. And here you go, you walk to your place of work, you're walking by people who need Jesus, who need you to be an ambassador for Jesus, yet you're so hung up on, this is awful, this is terrible. Surely God would never put me in this situation. What would happen if that conversation in your head began to change and you began to celebrate the goodness of Jesus and the life that you have in Jesus, that God is for you, not against you, that he'll never leave you or forsake you, and that he's called you. And not only has he called you, but he's equipped you, and he's prepared in advance all the good deeds for you to do while you're on that job today. And so you're going to die daily. You're going to take up your cross. You, you seek God in the Word. You're in prayer. You go to work. Sure, there's going to be times when you, the negativity hits your mind. Why do they have to do that? They make my life terrible. And then all of a sudden, you catch yourself. Just in a few seconds, you're like, hold on, hold on. Jesus died for me. Jesus gave me salvation. He went to a cross and was nailed to a cross and suffered for the joy that was in front of him. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God, help me to see Bill as ministry. Help me to be a servant for you today as I minister to Bill. What about your marriage? Instead of complaining, he's just a terrible husband. He's awful. Like, I look around and these guys at church are way better husbands than my husband. He's a terrible spiritual leader. And sometimes I catch him looking at other women. And you're having this negative dialogue in your head all the time. And, and, and this gospel that you're preaching to yourself is not the gospel of Jesus. It's a gospel of woe is me. Why, why is this my lot in life? Why did I end up in this situation? And there's this envy that's being bred in your heart. And there's no way that you can follow Jesus Christ because you're preaching this toxic gospel to yourself. In some way you think Jesus entitled you to have this wonderful life. And he's not delivering, so it's his fault. What would change if you began to preach, truly preach the gospel to yourself? If you begin to truly be in the word and fight that battle in your head, for real, fight that battle in your head. When those thoughts pop in your mind to complain, to envy, to lust, to sin, to, to complain about things, begin to speak the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach Jesus to yourself. And here's the thing. We think that in these situations that it's all us, that we're the ones that's supplying the power and energy. But it's not true. Throughout Scripture, and Roy alluded to this last week, that, that throughout Scripture it's like, okay, we're going to work and we're going to fight, we're going to battle, but we battle in the strength of the Lord. In fact, that's what Paul gets at in verse 6. He says, and I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul knew that Jesus was fighting for us. He's fighting for the church at Philippi, and he's fighting for you. And when those thoughts hit your mind, and when you begin to say, woe is me, and complain, when you begin to live your life in a way that's toxic and will bring no joy at all into your life, because your heart is so miserable Inside, you're, being, you're just torn up with anxiety and worry and fret. Try to control life. 
And instead of letting your mind dwell on whatever is pure and honest and just and pure and, and all the things that Scripture says, you allow your mind just to run there and fantasize and dream about situations and dream about uh, un- unrealistic expectations in your life. What if I was in their place? Or what if this was the case for me? And you're not preaching any gospel to yourself or rarely speaking it to yourself. So what do you think is going to happen? But Jesus is fighting for you. So don't stop fighting the battle in your mind, but know that Jesus is going to finish what he started. He is giving you the power and the desire to fight those battles. The battle in the first place, if, you're, if you desire to battle, then God's grace has visited you. That his grace is coming to you and saying, I'm giving you the grace to fight that. Because there's a lot of people in the world who don't fight it. They're like, oh, I, what I think in my mind is my business. If I want to dream about all day long winning the lottery and buying a big mansion and, and having cars and servants, you know, I, I just dream about that all day long. There's no battle going on in their mind because they are carnal. They're living for the flesh. When God graces you, then you hear the word and you're like, wow, I am not battling like I should in my mind. And God convicts you through his word of that. And then you see that Jesus is fighting for you. And I'm sure of this, Paul says, I'm sure of it, that he who began this work in you will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. As God's child, we don't sit there and wait for God to come through. He's given us everything we need. Now start, start moving, start going, start thinking, start battling, start preaching the gospel to yourself. Preach that I'm a saint in Christ. He has declared me righteous. And then finally, I want us to note, go back to verse 3, that in this fight that Paul recognizes the need for our brothers and sisters in Christ to help us in this fight. Paul, look at it, look, as he writes these words, he's focusing on others even as he's suffering. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. So Paul is experiencing joy in his prayers even as he's incarcerated. Because, here's why he's full of joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There's this partnership. So they come together for the gospel. So it's not just me in isolation having this battle in my head with myself and Jesus is helping me, but one of the graces that he's given us, and a very important critical grace, is the church, is one another that we have. And, and this idea of this partnership comes from a Greek word, and I'm not trying to press you here, but this is going to be a, a word that everybody's familiar with in the Greek. It, it, the word is koinonia, or at least many of you, because some of you asked me in membership class, and many of you have been here for a long time, you know the word koinonia because it's where we get our K group from. The word K group, K means koinonia. And we may think of it most likely and normally as fellowship because we're joining each other and we're sharing life together. But it also can be translated here partnership because it really implies more than just somebody just praying for someone or encourage them, hey, keep going strong. You know, it, it has to do with financial support and just contributing to their life. And so the Church of Philippi, they're in partnership with Paul, like we're in partnership with Jeff Dowdy and Buzz Beecham and the Lennox family. We're in partnership with them. But for Paul, it was more than just let's send off our money to them. There, there's prayer and there's support, there's encouragement. 
There's people coming from the church to see him and deliver food. There's this partnership that happens between the two of them. And, and, and that's the idea that Koinonia, K-groups, we went to get at, that we help support, encourage one another in this battle that we're in. So we're in a battle, and it's a battle for our flesh, and, and I want what I want. I want to put my hope in things that won't satisfy. And we have other people in our lives who say, Jerry, that's not a good idea. Don't, don't put your hope in this. It'll fail you. Let's, let's focus on Jesus. And I partner with others for the gospel. But sadly, for many of us, gospel partnership, koinonia, amounts to very little other than superficial relationships. We need others in our life. And, and trust me, it's going to be messy. It's going to be, you know, I think about even Jesus' 12 disciples. Like Jesus took these guys in to, to, to discipleship and fellowship with him. And, and look what happens. Like one of them betrays him. They all abandon him. They're, here he is. He's, he's pouring out his heart. and He's saying, guys, I'm going to the cross. And then they're arguing the next second about who's the greatest and who's going to sit on his right hand. I mean, that's messy stuff. That's real life stuff. Jesus could have been like, I'm telling you guys, I'm going to die. And here you are. You're talking about who's the greatest. I give up on you. But he does it. He, he keeps going and discipling them and helping them grow. So it's going to be messy. But we have to preach the gospel to each other. So we're going to have joy. Let's get back to what our theme is. If we're going to have joy, we have to stop letting our minds run wild, run crazy. we got to start preaching the gospel to ourselves again and again and again, knowing that Jesus is fighting on our behalf for us. He's given us the grace that we need, and one of the central graces that he's given us is the body of Christ, koinonia, fellowship, partnership in the gospel, for others to come alongside you and help you in this, and for you to help others. See, some of you, when I say others to help you, you're like, oh, I need that help. But who are you thinking about helping? Who are you investing in? If you're a believer and you have the Holy Spirit, you can be investing in people as well. So let's sum this up. Our head, we like to end our app with application. Head, heart, hands. Our head, know who you are. You are a saint in Jesus, declared righteous. He's declared you holy. God is for you. And so no matter what you're going through, and no matter what's happening, you can be assured that God is for you, not against you. And even if you say, well, my life, I've done a lot of bad things to lead to this point, and I've screwed up a lot. Preach the gospel to yourself. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called. Are you called according to his purpose? Do you love God? Well, even no matter how you got here, Paul killed people. You're there in your spot. God can work that for your good and for his glory. And then for our heart, it's this idea of just preaching the gospel to ourselves. Because God wants us to become who we are. He's declared us, get this, don't check out on me. He's declared us holy, but he wants us to be holy. And so we preach the gospel to ourselves in that we find joy and we become more like Jesus. We become holy, practically holy in our life. And then in our hands, I want us to think about this. I want you to think about being a conduit for Jesus. Be a conduit for Jesus. What do I mean by that? Here's what many of you think. Let me grab a cup here real quick. 
Here's what many of you think should be the case in your life. You think, this is you, God pours into you, and then when you feel good, you feel like it because you're overflowing, then you can give to other people. But the problem is, none of us rarely are overflowing with emotions and joy and happiness in the worldly way of thinking. And so we're sitting here and we're not giving, we're not serving because we're thinking, I'm just not full enough yet. I don't know enough yet. I need more, I need more, I need more. And we just are just takers and we take and take and take. And that's not the way that God wants it. God says to be a conduit. As God pours into us, we pour into others. As God pours into us, we just pour into others. So as we live our lives, we don't wait to give and disciple and make a difference in other people's lives when we feel good and we feel like it, just as God is pouring in, as he's teaching us things, as he's showing us things, we're in community with one another, we're in fight club with one another, we're helping each other out through difficult situations and, and helping each other through life, and then we're just pouring into each other. And in those ways of living, we experience joy. And sometimes it's hard and it's difficult. And sometimes, like I said earlier, for Jesus, it was the joy that was before him. He endured the cross. Sometimes it says, I've got to endure this for the joy that's in front of me. But even in that time, knowing who we are in Christ, that God is for us, brings us a level of joy and satisfaction and peace that is unheard of for the world. So, no matter what, joy is available. It is. It's available to you. Joy is found in pursuing Jesus. Pursue Jesus, and he brings joy. It's not just something I stand up here and say, and then go out and live something different. I hope and pray that my life exemplifies this. And the leaders of our church, while we're imperfect and we struggle, and all the time we can put our hopes in other things, that there's this daily commitment to the body of Christ for honesty, authenticity. There's this battle that's going on in our head that we're fighting for the gospel. We're fighting and preaching the gospel to ourselves. And we put our hope in Jesus because we know that ultimately he's the one that's fighting on our behalf. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. And we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul who lived his life in a way that shows us that joy is possible no matter what's happening in our life. And God, I pray that that person today who feels empty, full of anxiety, and maybe even depression, but they know they're your child, I pray today that they'll begin to look for opportunities to pour into others as you pour into them. Help them to daily take up their cross and follow you and just pour into other people. God, I pray you'll help our church to truly be a light in this community. Help us to show that the joy of the Lord truly is our strength. Just ask it. Just keep your